This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. Welcome back. In part two of the podcast, we're going to talk to Jim about his experiences covering the Super Bowl Rams team and the Blue Stanley Cup. We'll touch upon what are the challenges in staying on top after winning it all. Welcome back, Jim. After the Super Bowl, just last add on that, I remember John, you know how he is. He said, our schedule was so easy. Right. And and it was, and, and it, it's, was it was, but I'm like, John, you don't make the schedule. Just play it. You just play <laughs> who you have. What do you, you know, right. you don't have no reason to feel guilty or whatever. But yeah, it was shocking with uh, Vermeils. I mean, there had been rumors, and I only... The day after, the day after the Super Bowl, which is like 8 a.m. in the morning in, in the Super Bowl town, right. and that was Atlanta, and only then, just hearing Ramil talk, I thought maybe it was 50-50. But still, I didn't go back to the parade or anything. I went straight from Atlanta and the Super Bowl to Honolulu and the Pro Bowl. You had eight players, right, right, eight players right, in yeah. the Pro Bowl. I am changing planes, and we didn't have cell phones then. I know some people did, but... Uh, we're changing planes in uh, L.A., and I call the desk. Hey, anything going on? I'm changing planes in L.A. Yeah, Dick Vermeil just resigned. So I was on it. I couldn't write the story. We had other people. I ended up talking to the uh, the eight players or some of them there and writing like a player react. I get back on the plane, and sitting in first class on that plane was Orlando Pace. Not because he's an elitist. He needed more leg room, Right. right? I'm the one that told him that he had not, he did not know that Vermeil had, that's how quick and how sudden it was. So on your reporting, do you think he was pushed out or do you think he just decided to leave? I think if you put the truth serum in everyone, I don't know if he was pushed out, but they were, remember, right, people I mean, were going to interview Mike Martz, uh, Green Bay, and I still am not sure the Martz-Vermeil relationship, as, as Martz got more and more, did Vermeil feel threatened by Martz? Did he feel a little jealous? He knew he was kind of the, didn't they name him head coach right, in waiting? Right, head coach in waiting. So I wonder about all that. They both kind of deny it. They both, at least to me, have said the, the right things. That's one of the great unanswered questions that you've gotten out there. And I, and I, I don't know. I know Carol Vermeil, a wonderful woman. She wanted him out. Even though he wasn't doing the crazy hours right. that he did with the Eagles, he was still doing a lot. Like you said a few minutes earlier, Robert. What more did he have to prove? How could he get any better than that? You know? And so, I don't know. I do think, and, and you know, you know, I get along well with Mike. I do think maybe they win at least one more Super Bowl had Vermeil said. Vermeil had tell a way. About, tell me about the Mark, Mike March years a little he, bit. Uh, he had a way, for, I think Vermeil had a way of just toning down Mike a little bit. Hey, the offense was fantastic with Mike. Uh, one of the greatest offensive minds in the game. We know Mike had a sharp temper. I remember Mike getting mad at me uh, when I did a, uh, this was when uh, Carson, Bud Carson, who was brought in to, I think, to help the, was it the 99 or maybe, no, it was the 2000 Rams. Remember that after the 90, the 2000. We had two coordinators. Then in 2000, I I don't know, bunting left or whatever, but the the defense was so bad 
a lot of those. But we were six and zero, oh, I think. Right, and then Warner gets hurt. Right. But like a lot of players got old at the, on defense. It's just Demarco Farr had knee issues. Mike Jones had lost a step, uh, uh, stuff like that. And so he brings in Carson. I remember interviewing Carson after the 2000 Super Bowl, and he he said 99 great things, but he also said, "Yeah, Mike had a hair trigger." I put that in the article. Mike didn't like it. They had to arrange a meeting, a little lunch meeting out at St. Charles to kind of soothe. Mike was furious. He wouldn't look at me in the uh, little restaurant at the table. Who was at the meeting? You I think Zygmunt, Charlie Army. I, I think Bernie was there. But Mike was great to deal with. He, uh, Yeah, he, he'd lose it a little bit. He'd get mad at me and, and other guys. But, you know, all guys do that. I don't think Vermeil ever got mad at me, but I remember... Brooks throwing furniture and getting mad at me. I remember Jeff Fisher getting mad at me because I reported some injury that he didn't want out. I never saw a coach that, that I dealt with try to get to know the media, at least the regulars, as much. He would come down. As March? Or- March would just come down at 7 o'clock at night and, and, and sit there and talk to us, tell us all kinds of things. And no matter what, you might be on deadline. You would stop when the head coach comes down or if you came down. We'd never say... Bob Wallace, go away, I'm on deadline. Those are important people, and who knows what you might pick up when Charlie Army came down. It was never quite the same after the 01 Super Bowl, the relationship with Mike, because that was the first time where he was really criticized. Uh, As we all know, the Rams were heavily favored. Uh, Of all the Super Bowl champs, I think if you put the true serum in the Belichick, he would say that was the least talented. But uh, no, Mike was very interesting to deal with. And people would say, because, yeah, sometimes he'd have, have the bluster, out-of-town writers said, how do you deal with this guy? We have a very narrow fo- focus. If you're a writer, I'd say he's great copy. You want guys that, great, that are great copy, whether it's good or bad. You were always great copy. Charlie Army was always great copy. John Shaw was always great copy. March. that's why covering the Rams was so, was so great. <laughs> so I don't want to go for each one of the, the, the successes to March and them, but just generally, what happened to the – franchise well even in the late days of march the salary cap caught up and to the uh george's credit and to uh Cronky's credit he was still a minority in it you guys once you got going and became a contender in that brief but spectacular window of the great you spent to the cap every year and you redid contracts to uh well, we always made a we always made a promise to the coach that we would spend to the cap yeah Where oh really coach? yeah well and but you just couldn't keep everybody and part of the trap of success is that all the players right. think they're responsible. Right. Right. So slowly you started losing defensive players. I remember sitting with, what was the place where we'd go in Macomb? The Red Ox, I think Red it was Ox. called. Yeah, the Red Ox. It was me, Bernie, and Zygmunt, and Warner, Bruce, and Carter all up. This was, I think, entering the 2000 season. And he says, we can sign two of the three. And basically it was the first two to take a bite of the apple. So Warner was first. That was during camp. Then came Bruce. That was before a preseason game in Nashville, and Carter was out of luck. So, and, then, and Mike didn't also like Carter too because he had, they sort of turned on Carter a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. I I think some of the coaches didn't think Carter. They wanted Carter to be like Demarco Farr, who was like you know. Right. They didn't think Carter hustled enough or whatever. Where, I mean, the guy was a great player. You know, if you end up with over a hundred sacks, he's Maybe the hall of the very good, maybe not quite hall. He was a very good player. And suddenly all these defensive players start leaving. I remember March coming in, only me, you know, the the, uh, the depth chart, the cardboard depth chart, 
throws it down on my desk, and he had, this was in, maybe it was 03, it might have been 04, I think it was 04, and he has marked in yellow all the defensive players on a 2001 depth chart that were gone, you know, the London Fletchers, the Carters, uh, Lyle Light, all that, and so because of the cap, you lost all that. In hockey, I, 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 it just caught up with the Blues. If you're a Super Bowl team or a Stanley Cup team, the way the cap is, you can't keep it. And so it, I think as much as everything finally caught up, you had a lot of clashing egos. You know this better than me. And, uh, you know, there were clashes with Martz and Zygmunt and uh, Army in there. With, with well, And so you have all that uh, going on. But I think the biggest thing, the thing nobody talks about that led to the, the greatest show, premature ending, Fox Knees gave out. And that came his last really good season. He was great in 01. He was hard in 02. 03, he was pretty good. But after that, he had nothing left. And he was the X Factor. To me, arguably the greatest two-way back and a rushing receiving back. You have Lenny Moore. I know it's older for some of your listeners. And and Roger Craig were good. But they, they weren't the runners. That and then LaDainian Thompson. Thompson, yeah, that's a uh, that's a good call. And then, and then also... Warner has those thumb issues, and he started fumbling. And, you know, it bothered him in New York. All of a sudden, in Arizona, Warner starts wearing a glove on his throwing hand. And this was an arena, I think arena league or uh, NFL Europe injury that just got worse. But when he put that glove on in Arizona, he could grip the ball better. And all of a sudden, he was the same old Kirk. So you had those, you had those two things. And it's a shame. And then, We're gonna, boy, that was a bad decade, Bob, after that. Tell me a little bit about the move. And the Rams, you know, Kroenke takes over. Zygmunt and I are pushed out. Sean Starter steps away. Well, it wasn't the same around the building for the media. We got to know you guys. And, again, it's not like you necessarily did us favors, but it was a tremendous working relationship. We didn't get the access. Who was it? Linehan closed practices for a while. I went, there were some warehouses, as you know, behind Rams Park. I hid behind a tree for a couple of weeks. And then Chief Lenza caught me, Dan Lenza, bless his heart. And uh, and that was the end of that. We were furious about that. But yeah, star, so you have Joe Vitt, who turned out to be very funny, very great to work with at 05. That was the year Mike was, uh, was sick. Then you have Linehan come in. He started out great. Then that went downhill. And uh, then you had Hazlitt. He, he was fun, took over as the interim coach in 08. And then, what was it, 2010, uh, Spagnola comes in, but Cronky uh, takes over, right, as uh, the owner. And I remember we were in Rick Smith's office, the uh, PR head at Rams Park, on the phone, Bernie and I. And that's where Cronky said, I'm a proud Missouri man. And I was right away when he took over. Even then, we're talking to you're wondering about the lease. Will he move the team? And he, I'm a proud Missouri guy. I take great pride in helping to bring the team here, and I'm going to do everything in my power to keep it here. So then 2012, the team is suffering, boy, some, some bad football, as you know, from what, 07 through 11, five seasons, 15 and 65. Three and 13 was the average record. Well, they had a chance to make the playoffs. I think they finished seven and nine, but they had a chance. And uh, Bradford was the uh, NFC Offensive Rookie of the Year. Then McDaniels wasn't good for him. Things go downhill. Fisher's, I knew some people that were very close to Fisher. And I wrote it, and my mistake was I should have made it the lead. I should have made it the headline. It was a little bit buried in the middle of the story how Fisher was freaked out. This is January 2012. The interview was at Stan's office 
in the Pepsi, what was then the Pepsi Center, now Ball Arena, in Denver, the hockey and NBA arena, and how Fisher was freaked out. He got all these questions about what was it like to, to move the uh, Oilers to Tennessee, and how did you do this? How did you do this? All about moving the team. And I asked, I think it was Cronky about it, I forget the, uh, the press conference where they hired Fisher, but I, I forget what he said. So we go along there, and then we have, this is the only time where I personally caught later found out where Kevin Demoff lied to me. It's when they bought the parcel of land and I, I got him on the phone and it might've happened right around Super Bowl week that year. And uh, Demoff said, he's just doing this to shake St. Louis up. It's too small for football. It's not a football purpose. And that, that was the only time Demoff lied. And I remember asking Goodell at the state of the Super Bowl, asking him about it. And he, and he lied to me. He said it was a real estate guy. He said it was a real estate guy. He said, I know of no plans for them to build a football. And he knew very well. I, this is my biggest regret. I covered some of the news about the move. They wanted someone. You still have to cover the team and the games. So it wasn't like before the move to St. Louis, where I, 80% of my time, I was covering what's happening here, what's there. I spent maybe a third. Of, we had a news writer, Dave, David Hunt, who was later trying to cover the news stuff. But my biggest regret was I read many times over the relocation guidelines. There's no way they can meet these guidelines and move. And obviously, I guess the, the league never. The, I remember the uh, uh, Eric Rubin had the town hall meeting at the right. Stiefel. It was then, and that's, you know, that's during this. It was then that afterwards, it's after the Q&A with the crowd where he's up on the, the stage there talking to some reporters where all of a sudden he says, well, uh, Relocation, that, that's not really a guideline that, you know, they're, they're not binding and uh, fixes. And it got to the point where when I'm leaving to Houston for the meeting there, my wife drops me off and she's into the football stuff. And I just said, you know, when I come back here, St. Louis isn't going to have a football team. I was that convinced by then. But I, I got a little bit of hope. Remember at the meeting when they, uh, the initial vote was against the move. And that's when Jerry Jones went in the room and like swayed everybody, swayed, swayed all those folks, and that was it. So David Hunt covers the press conference. I'm down in the lobby. My job is to pick off all the owners as they leave, and it was just incredible what Jerry Jones said, and more incredible was the Dallas writers, some of whom I'd known forever, saying this will get Jerry Jones in the Hall of Fame, getting a team in L.A. And I'm like biting my tongue. I'm like, what? No. He took a team from St. Louis, and I know the L.A. fans, well, you stole the Rams from St. Louis. L.A. did nothing. I mean, Lee Steinberg tried. They, they put up no, they couldn't get anything going. You know, L.A., St. Louis put up, what, $300 million for the Dome, and then they were ready to put in $400 million for the new stadium there. So that, that, that was tough. That was a tough night for St. Louis, and even though you have to be objective as a reporter for me. Then they're gone. I'm covering the league, league at large. It's the, uh, which was kind of fun. You know, you don't have the readership as if you had a team there, but it's my second year doing this. I'm in the office and uh, I'm making out my credential request to cover like the first four or five NFL games on the road. Get the literal tap on the shoulder for our sports editor. Our hockey writer, Jeremy Rutherford was leaving to join the, the new athletic. And uh, we want you to cover hockey. I couldn't have named, other than the Blues, I couldn't have named 50 NHL hockey players <laughs> at that time. You know, I, I I remember when they moved here and I was a teenager then and it was fantastic. I remember they go to the cup three times. We're all playing street hockey, all that. We're going to the games, buying cheap seats, but I knew nothing about, about hockey. hockey? Did, you know any, did you know 
the game? Did you know it at all? Not too much. I, I didn't watch much. You know how it is when you're when you're covering a beat. And, and the NFL offseason, there's always something. There's free agency. There's a draft. There's a combine. There's the owners meeting. We at that time we'd cover all the playoff games. You know, I could go to whatever playoff games I wanted and, and go to the Super Bowl. So I didn't pay my, maybe a little bit of the playoffs, but I wasn't much of a hockey fan. And I, I expressed trepidation over it, but they said, well, we're not going to cover football anymore. You can either work the desk or cover hockey. And uh, I didn't mind working the desk as an editor, but to do it, you know, five nights a week, I just felt like even though I was getting up there in age, I was like 62 at the time, I still had more energy than to do that. So what's the difference between covering hockey and football? Well, the hockey goes so fast and I would come home from the games and you're still worked up the adrenaline of writing on deadline and they would have the replay of the games on TV on the, on the, with it, I'd, I'd watch maybe the first right. period before Fox I fall Midwest, asleep. Right. Yeah. And, I'd, oh, so that's what happened on that play. So that's what happened there. So you have that. The travel's different. It was fun to go to the other towns. The Pre-COVID, we flew on the team charter, and we would pay for the flight. We'd stay at the team hotel. That was cooler. COVID, we never stopped traveling, and but you'd have to arrange everything yourself. So that, 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 was, uh, that was tough. The players were friendly. But and people would always well the player the football players you get better quotes from the football players. Well, was yeah. was it any to do with language? No. No. Well, some. I mean, like there, there may be a Russian player, maybe their English wasn't that good. But a lot of the old stereotype of the uh, you know the farm boy from Saskatchewan. I'm just going to give the part. You would get more outlandish stuff from a uh, London Fletcher or Demarco Farr, even Isaac Bruce. Oh my gosh, when Ironhead Hayward was here, you never knew what right. he was going to say. London, it was just it would be like a buffet line. Okay, I want humor. I'm going to go to uh, Demarco. Yeah, uh, you went straight talking. I'm going to go to Isaac or whatever. Kurt Warner. You know how it is with quarterbacks now. They maybe Wednesday they meet with the media, and then after the game, Kurt Warner would be there every day. It'd be a Friday. We'd be he'd be sitting at his locker. It's guys, you need anything? And usually it was no, thank you know. Oh, you weren't used to that. <laughs> no, no. So hockey was hockey was a little different, but the the, the people were 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 good to deal with. Yeah, I never, and and they were nice people. But whether it was Mike Yo or Ruby or Doug Armstrong, you never got to know them and know them maybe away from the game a little bit, like I got to know you or Army or Sigmund or, or, or Shaw or even Martz, even maybe you know to a degree. Linehan or, or Brooks, you know, you, you you could never crack that. There was all, and they were nice, and Rory and I got along great. I'd always try to make him laugh, say something goofy to get him to laugh, but it was just different. So, what, why do you think is that the culture of the sport? Or I, I don't know. I, I maybe it maybe that's the way Doug Armstrong runs it. He runs a pretty tight ship. Now, saying that, Armstrong was always good to me. If I needed something, he'd always return calls. He was great at press conferences, great on the phone. But he would only give you so much. I don't know how many times he said, Jim, I'm not your source on this. You know, <laughs> when I was trying to find out stuff. The first year, I uh, they missed the playoffs by one point. And I just didn't have right, a We used to always tease you, you were sort of a jinx, right? Right, right. <laughs> because my record with uh, uh, Mizzou football wasn't very good. Except for those four or five years, the greatest show, the football was awful. So I tell you. You got a little salty about that after a while. Well, <laughs> yeah. And my mom, Bernie would put in, like, once in a while he'd put in my record, my football, and it's the Bernie bits. Uh-huh. And my mom would be totally upset. She'd call, yeah. But uh, 
so they missed the playoffs by a point. And then remember, at the start of the, of the cup year, 99, they were in last place, like January 1st. I get on the team plane once after a tough loss. And the way it worked, the front would be Armstrong and the coaches, the assistant coaches, and any team executives. Then there'd be the media. And then behind us would be the players. They wanted them behind us in case they're, I don't know, drinking or playing cards. We wouldn't see. And I made it a point to not to try to spy. I would report. Not, if I saw a player in a sling, I wouldn't report it. You, if couldn't, I, you couldn't report upper body injury? which is <laughs> But, I mean, if I saw it in the locker room or saw it in the hallways in the stadiums, I would report it. But up there, I'm like, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't be here. So I'm not going to report it. Anyway, I'm getting on the plane after a tough loss, and Armstrong's there, and he looks up at me, and he says, you know, Maybe you are a jinx. So it had, it, had, it, had, it, had gotten, it had gotten to him. But that first year, it was just such a learning curve. My son, my youngest son, Roger, the rock drummer, I knew he was a hockey fan. I didn't know how much. He helped me so much. He would, there would be some of the – I didn't go on some of the early road games, and he would come to the house, and he would explain stuff to me, or I'd call him and check, what do you think, this and that. Tom Timmerman helped me a lot. I was like the four – you know, they say the average four-year-old that asks like – 2,000 questions a day. That's how I was. So, you know, Jeff, those guys were all good to me. And by the second year, the cup year, I had an idea. But really, and I knew this from the, it takes a while to develop sources. And uh, I knew by the time I was ready to retire, I would just really be feeling comfortable and have some sources. And it was still tougher with the Blues to get sources. But I originally, I was 62 when I decided to do it. I originally wanted to go like four years, then it became five years, then it became six years, and then finally. So was you, you covered them for seven years? For six years. Six, six years, years, yeah. Give me a short kind of answer on the Blue the Stanley Cup year. How was that? I mean, it, it was just just fantastic in as many ways as you can imagine. Uh, not, you know, the first half of the year they were terrible. You have a coach firing in November, and they fired him like right after the game. We, we weren't even – finished writing our game stories when they announced that yo was was fired and then in uh january this kid comes from out of nowhere jordan bennington and starts winning and winning and winning and they they start climbing up the standings i go right at the start of the winning streak they had come from behind to beat the florida panthers and it, it was they had a franchise record 11 game winning streak this was like game two or three of that. The, de- the couple days before that game was the uh, Rams New England Super Bowl, where, where the Rams shut out like 19 to nothing. I remember watching that game from my hotel down there in Florida. But anyway, I remember going into the locker room and they're playing Gloria. And I look at Vince Dunn, who was very young and would tease me to the point where I thought he was one of my sons, always kidding me about being old. I said, You guys just have a big win and you're playing this disco song, you know? And so there was all that to it. And Never been to a playoff game. I, I just remember uh, Winnipeg for the first game. They had the whiteout, just how they were razzing Bennington, and uh, it was just uh, crazy. And I remember at the start of the media day for the Stanley Cup, it was at TD Garden, Boston Garden, and there's a crowd around Bennington, and I'm doing a story about how Bennington is the greatest come-out-of-nowhere player in St. Louis sports since Kurt Warner. I had interviewed Warner for it. Warner, he knew nothing about the Blues or Bennington, but he tried to play along. So I tried to ask Bennington a question about it, explain him who Warner was, blah, blah, blah. I said, do you see yourself as, a, you know, as maybe a hockey version of that? 
And he says, well, I don't know anything about Warner, but it sounds like a heck of a story. That was his answer. So, no, it was fantastic. And, and being in Boston Garden for the Game 7, and I remember, uh, who was it? I think Shen scored a goal to make it 3-1 to one in the third period. All the inactives and the front office people were sitting. It was so crowded, they didn't have a suite for them in TD Garden. Robert Thomas, who had a hand injury, had his hand in like a cast or splint, he's sitting immediately to my right, like 18 inches away. But I remember just, and I didn't pay attention to him. I was busy doing I remember turning to them after Shen's goal made it three to one in the third period and, and the look on their faces right then it hit St. Louis is going to win a cup. So I've been asked many times, what, what, what was the great, two fantastic stories right. for me, career rise, 20 years apart, which was the greatest. And What's the answer? I, I go back and forth. I think I tell the football people it was football <laughs> and the hockey people it was hockey. The hockey, it was 50 years. And they were last place this season. Then again, the Rams had been the losingest team in the 90s, and it was 1990. And as you have said, and I, I quote you all the time, that this may be a uh, baseball town, but it's a football nation. It is. And winning the Super Bowl, it's, 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 yeah. although they say winning the Stanley Cup may be the hardest trophy in sports yeah, to win. Maybe, uh, but still. Yeah. For, uh, a baseball town, football nation, I guess soccer world, right. you know. But what a uh, career, 20 years apart, there's been no other main beat writer in St. Louis that's covered two championship teams because we had mostly they're all baseball. The Hawks way back when, won, they won one in St. Louis, the basketball Hawks. So, so let me ask you, I'm gonna, as we come to the close, Jim, I'm going to give you a few, what do they call it, lightning round questions? So well, don't ask, hedge, uh, like Frank Cusimano. Don't, right, don't hedge and make them short, okay? <laughs> make yeah, your answers short. I will. Uh, yeah. And if... Will, will St. Louis ever get an NFL team? Not in my lifetime. Will Torrey Holt make this Hall of Fame? Yes, but it'll take a while. The greatest player in, that you've covered? The greatest player that Any, I've covered. You know, all the three three places that you've been in football, Missouri, Missouri and, and, uh, and hockey. I guess I'm going to say personal favorite. I'm going to say Isaac Bruce. You know, you could say Falk, but it, it was very short with him. He had three spectacular seasons here. Other than me, favorite personality that you covered? <laughs> wow. That could be a long list. I think I want to say March. So I'll say March, yeah. We always welcome your feedback. So go to the ratings and review section for our podcast. If you are listening on Stitcher, go to stitcher.com and rate us there. If there's a topic you would like us to discuss, let us know that too. Thank you for listening.